Chapter Twelve of A Short History of Scotland by Andrew Lang, read for LibriVox.org into the public domain. Chapter Twelve, James the Second. Scone, with its sacred stone, being so near Perth and the Highlands, was perilous, and the coronation of James the Second was therefore held at Holyrood, March twenty fifth, fourteen thirty seven. The child, who was but seven years of age, was bandied to and fro like a shuttlecock between rival adventurers. The Earl of Douglas, Archibald, fifth Earl, died 1439, took no leading part in the strife of factions, one of them led by Sir William Crichton, who held the important post of commander of Edinburgh Castle, the other by Sir Alexander Livingston of Callender. The great old houses had been shaken by the severities of James I, at least for the time. In a government of factions influenced by private greed, there was no important difference in policy, and we need not follow the transference of the royal person from Crichton in Edinburgh to Livingston in Stirling Castle, the coalitions between these worthies, the battles between the Boyds of Kilmarnock and the Stuarts, who had to avenge Stuart of Durnley, constable of the Scottish contingent in France, who was slain by Sir Thomas Boyd. The Queen Mother married Sir James Stuart, the Black Knight of Lorne, and, August 3, 1439, she was captured by Livingston, while her husband, in the mysterious words of the chronicler, was put in a pit and boiled. In a month Jane Beaufort gave Livingston an amnesty. He, not the Stuart family, not the Queen Mother, now held James. To all this the new young Earl of Douglas, a boy of eighteen, tacitly assented. He was the most powerful and wealthiest subject in Scotland. In France he was the Duc de Touraine. He was descended in lawful wedlock from Robert II. He might have been the king." as the ballad says, of the bonny Earl of Moray. But he held proudly aloof from both Livingston and Crichton, who were stealing the king alternately. They then combined, invited Douglas to Edinburgh Castle with his brother David, and served up the ominous bull's head at the black dinner recorded in a ballad fragment. They decapitated the two Douglas boys. The earldom fell to their granduncle, James the Fat, and presently on his death to young William Douglas, after which bans, or illegal covenants, between the various leaders of factions, led to private wars of shifting fortune. Kennedy, Bishop of St. Andrews, opposed the Douglas party, now strong both in lands newly acquired, till July 3, 1449, James married Mary of Goldress, imprisoned the Livingstons, and relied on the Bishop of St. Andrews and the clergy. While Douglas was visiting Rome in 1450, the Livingstons had been forfeited, and Crichton became Chancellor. Fall of the Black Douglases. The Douglases, through a royal marriage of an ancestor to a daughter of the more legitimate marriage of Robert the Second, had a kind of claim to the throne which they never put forward. The country was thus spared dynastic wars, like those of the White and Red Roses in England, but none the less the Douglases were too rich and powerful for subjects. The Earl at the moment held Galloway and Annandale, two of his brothers were Earls of Moray and Ormond, in October 1448, Ormond had distinguished himself by defeating and taking Percy, urging a raid into Scotland, at a bloody battle on the water of Sark, near Gretna. During the Earl of Douglas's absence in Rome, James had put down some of his unruly retainers, and even after his return, 1451, had persevered in this course. Later in the year Douglas resigned, and received back his lands, a not uncommon formula showing submission on the vassal's favour on the lord's part, as when Charles the Seventh, at the request of Jeanne d'Arc, made this resignation to God. 
Douglas, however, was suspected of intriguing with England, and with the Lord of the Isles, while he had a secret covenant or band with the Earls of Crawford and Ross. If all this were true, he was planning a most dangerous enterprise. He was invited to Stirling to meet the king under a safe conduct, and there, February twenty-second, 1452, was dirked by his king at the sacred table of hospitality. Whether this crime was premeditated or merely passionate is unknown, as in the case of Bruce's murder of the Red Comyn before the high altar. Parliament absolved James on slender grounds. James, the brother of the slain earl, publicly defied his king, gave his allegiance to Henry the Sixth of England, withdrew it, intrigued, and after his brothers had been routed at Arkenholm, near Langham, May eighteenth, 1455, fled to England. His house was proclaimed traitorous. Their wide lands in southern and southwestern Scotland were forfeited and redistributed, the Scots of Buccleuch profiting largely in the long run. The leader of the royal forces at Arkenholm, near Langholm, was another Douglas, one of the Red Douglases, the Earl of Angus, and till the execution of the Earl of Morton under James the Sixth, the Red Douglases were as powerful, turbulent, and treacherous as the Black Douglases had been in their day. When attacked and defeated, these Douglases, red or black, always allied themselves with England and with the Lords of the Isles, the hereditary foes of the royal authority. Meanwhile, Edward the Fourth wrote of the Scots as his rebels of Scotland, and in the alternations of fortune between the houses of York and Lancaster, James held with Henry the Sixth. When Henry was defeated and taken at Northampton, July tenth, fourteen sixty, James besieged Roxburgh Castle, an English hold on the border and, August 3, 1460, was slain by the explosion of a great bombard. James was but thirty years of age at his death. By the dagger, by the law, and by the aid of the Red Douglases, he had ruined his most powerful nobles, and his own reputation. His early training, like that of James the Sixth, was received while he was in the hands of the most treacherous, bloody, and unscrupulous of mankind. Later he met them with their own weapons." The foundation of the University of Glasgow, 1451, and the building and endowment of St. Salvatore's College in St. Andrews, by Bishop Kennedy, are the most permanent proofs of advancing culture in the reign of James. Many laws of excellent tendency, including sumptuary laws, which suggest the existence of unexpected wealth and luxury, were passed, but such laws were never firmly and regularly enforced. By one rule, which does seem to have been carried out, no poisons were to be imported, Scottish chemical science was incapable of manufacturing them. Much later, under James the Sixth, we find a parcel of arsenic, to be used for political purposes, successfully stopped at Leith. End of chapter 12. Read by Sibella Denton. For more free audiobooks or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org.